welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools podcast. Aloha. No, we're not in Hawaii, but I felt like saying it anyway. Welcome to another episode of the Brain Tools Podcast. It's episode 18, and we're very, very excited to be back for the second installment of our mini-series on belief. Last week, we did a bit of a deep dive into internal beliefs of the self. It's about understanding our limiting beliefs that we sometimes push on ourselves, and when I say sometimes, oftentimes do so, and the link between our behavior and our results. So check out that episode if you haven't seen it. But that brings me to this week, part two. Now, we've obviously spoken about the internal beliefs, but we want to talk about today, which is conflicting beliefs, which is beliefs between other people and the notion of conflict, right? And I think that's what we want to understand today, which is how, you know, we can go about beneficial conflict and thoughtful disagreement. So we're very, very pumped to get through this given the time that we are. But as always, I want to welcome Samuel. How are you? Very well. Great intro, by the way. Another another piece of fire dropped by Kieran. A uh, bit of heat in that introduction. I'm going well. I don't have COVID. I just have the sniffles from hay fever. So if I sneeze and sniffle during this podcast, that's the reason. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I don't I don't have COVID either, which is a, a very good sign. Um, but mate, I'm, I'm good. Is that how we should open every podcast? Look, we yeah. still don't have COVID. <laughs> yeah. Here's that global update because obviously people really care about our health and well-being. Let's just let everyone know. Hey, Singapore's all right. Australia's all right. But mate, Melbourne's I'm, okay. Melbourne's okay. I'm good. Melbourne's all good, I assume, right? Melbourne is all good. Melbourne is all good. And uh, so is the topic we're talking about today. I don't think it's yes. pretty, pretty relevant, right? So today we're going to cover what to do when disagreeing, learning how to lose less friends and believe conflicts because we all have those uh, emotionally <laughs> Just to minimize the, the loss. <laughs> we want to minimize the loss and the damage done, even internally, family. And we'll talk a little bit about why fair, you know, debates get so heated, uh, especially when it's around emotionally charged things like politics and belief systems, and understand how arguments happen in the brain. But debates, like we all have them, family, friends. Co-workers, they happen. Oh, do they ever, especially as we spoke about when it when the topic becomes political or it's related to sport in my time. Yeah. Again, the number of greatest of all time arguments had in NBA is ridiculous. But I thought I'd ask, when's the last mm. great debate that you had? I'm very keen to understand what happened given uh, the emotionally charged nature of Christmases and so on and so forth. Yeah, I so it wasn't even Christmas. It was uh, with a neighbour, believe it or not, recently, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Uh, an anti-vaxxer neighbor um, Ooh, who don't fun. believe in vaccination. So there was, like, I try to keep it as civil as possible and even use some of the brain tools in this episode during that conversation. But it did get a little bit heated. Uh, they they claimed the entire pandemic was a plandemic and the vaccine was a way to inoculate the population um, for things we didn't understand what was going to happen. So it's pretty recent and it was pretty intense as these things often be. 
I was going to ask, can I, how were you feeling throughout that? Because I I find it, that that's a tough conversation, right? Given the, the, the global context we're in, how are you feeling? Yeah, throughout? correct. Well, yeah, you know, taking into account the current politically charged atmosphere and just all the controversy around the vaccine, you get hated. You naturally get hated. Like you, you feel stressed. You feel under attack when you're in those really intense debates. And I know we're going to cover this later on in the episode. We'll talk a little bit about why that happens. But it's almost as if you're in a fight, you know, yeah. you're, in a, you're in this really intense state of conflict. It's, you know, if you've ever played a sport and you get a bit of argy-bargy uh, against someone else on the other team, you know that feeling where there is some, some conflict and some um, tension in the air and you feel it. Oh, butter knife, literally. Yeah. I think that's a, it's an Absolutely. interesting one. This is going to be the most rogue quote that I've ever shared on this podcast, literally ever. Someone needs and to I'm, rain in here as quotes. Uh, you I, I know. Well, we've got the quote check, but <laughs> the way that you talked about your, your conflict with your neighbor, mm. our mate Sadhguru, <laughs> I saw him, uh, this, was the, this was the weirdest podcast I've ever seen in my life, just as a quick aside. It was Logan Paul, uh, who's again, a prankster and a bit of a fool, but hey, doing well for himself. And with Sadhguru, who was just like looking like this dope dude, just giving it a crack. But Sadhguru dropped a little bit of a bomb where he said, the conflict in the world is not between good and evil, though the people claim it so. It is always one person's belief versus another person's belief. And I mean, he's a guru and it kind of makes sense because it's all about conflicting beliefs. And I think mm-hmm. what today is all about is, is learning to disagree well. We've obviously got to understand that we can't hold the same beliefs. It'd be amazing if the world did, but then we'd just be robots, right? We wouldn't have our own individual identities and belief sets and so on. But we can learn, I think, I hope, Sam, to be radically open-minded so that we can at least have a dialogue. Because the thing that's been missing by my observation, and I'm not all eyes and knowing like Sadhguru, but is the lack of conversation that happens or meaningful conversation or thoughtful conversation when we do have conflicting beliefs. Don't know what you think, but that's where I'm at. I, I would totally agree. The, the lack of uh, comprehension between people with different belief sets is often what causes this this tension. And it, it leads really well into the neuroscience behind beliefs. Um, That's why we're here. That's why we're here. <laughs> and this is all about brain tools. But there's been quite a lot of research done in the last few years. And to break it down into kind of one line, essentially, it's that beliefs become part of your identity, your deeply held beliefs. And we start defending those like we have this psychological body made up of these beliefs and these concepts of who we are and our values and our ideals. And if you look at the research, when you hear facts that disagree with your beliefs, the parts of your brain responsible for threats and pain, physical threats and pain, your amygdala, your insula, uh, various other fear and threat networks, um, they activate, they light up. And it's almost as if these counterfacts are illogical punches to this this non-existent or no, sorry, this uh, intangible psychological body. And so they, they kind of hurt. Um, so, yeah. I really like that though. So the, the reason that's coming out to me is like I love that analogy of uh, ideological like punches, right? It's like yeah. our amygdala, is it's our threat detector, right? And so we always have really narrow frame to say, hey, here are these physical threats, but there are some very clear ideological and emotional and mental threats that take place. And those are the ones that have a tendency to lead to the, the alarm system going off, as you've said. Absolutely. There's some really great work out there by Jonas Kaplan and Sam Harris, actually, and another researcher, where they found the brain treats these questions against beliefs like physical threats. And it was really, really interesting, the paper they they did on this, um, because what they effectively showed is when you're under this state of psychological attack, 
on your belief system and, and your your um, values and your ideals and your identity, you do enter fight or flight mode. You've got this uh, hyperactive amygdala and fear network system and settings, but also the parts of your brain responsible for understanding and assessing the confidence of the other person's opinion. I'll talk about that study a little bit later. They also shut down. So really, you know, when they looked at this study, they took 40 people in uh, who had different political beliefs. They gave them information that run counter to it and they scanned their brains and they found that like their brain was feel- acting as if they were being attacked by a tiger or another person, which is crazy. That is so- like just one designing that experiment. Very, very cool. Yeah. But I think very the second cool. part is just to note that like the, the, the link between the, the physical attack and the verbal attack. Right, because mm-hmm. I think this is when we spoke about um, the idea of emotions in our in our last series. Again, if you haven't seen that, go check that out. But it's like language is for humans. We impact other people's nervous systems through our language, and like this is that is a classic example of that taking place. Oh, obviously, totally. in a very negative sphere. <laughs> not good. Yeah, <laughs> not not good at all. Which is pretty amazing. And the fact that they were able to produce this with neuroimaging studies and show the activation patterns in networks across the brain is quite conclusive in terms of, you know, the fact that we do have this uh, psychological response, this neurological response yeah, I to radical it. beliefs. Exactly. It links so well because when I was really deep diving into this, I was asking myself the question, like how, when we have these conversations, you're normally having these these conflicts with people that are obviously at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of their beliefs. And it raised the question, like how do we actually form these radical beliefs as, as you said, because if they're part of our identity and our belonging, again, who's reality, but if we part, part, part that together, I was thinking about the Chinese thought reform camps in the last century and like religious cults and, and doing a deep dive, there seems to be about four key steps informing radical beliefs in individuals based on what the group is pushing. So I'm going to go through all four with you because I think they link really nicely mm. with you, okay? The, the first yeah. step, and this is something going to be really clear, is to isolate the person and control what information they receive. We have spoken ad nauseum about our information diets and the information that we get. We talked about the idea that, hey, if you are, I don't even know what this means, but Democrat, Republic, if you get like the certain news networks, that's the information you're going to get. But it's all about perception and sensory control. If you're fed the same bit of information 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're probably going to end up believing it even if you don't think it's true. And that's the first step. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's just reminded me like Facebook, right? You, you look at a lot of the radical beliefs in the States in particular and people who are of a certain political sway are force-fed this information diet through Facebook ads, through Fox News and the other networks where they can't help but adopt those belief sets, those really radical belief sets. Absolutely. And, and it's almost as if, because the number one thing that COVID has probably revealed is that humans hate uncertainty. We like mm. certainty. We want to complete the pattern. We want to complete the story. And so the second step is that an individual's formal beliefs actually need to be challenged by creating that uncertainty. So once you've ex- like tried to push these new set of beliefs, the gap of uncertainty is created that allows these new beliefs to actually form. And that's what we call the re-evaluation stage, which is really interesting. But I think the third one's what's probably going to resonate with you most, Sam, which is the new messages need to be repeated endlessly. We've spoken so much about neuroplasticity, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. These are basically a form of learning. It's a form of immersive learning. And this is the memory formation, which is, you know, we talk about the hippocampus, the new, um, the neocortex forming these long-term memories. Mm-hmm. This starts to become your reality because it becomes your memory, right? Well, exactly right. It's It becomes integrated into who you are and then it becomes your reality because it also becomes part of that psychological body we just talked about. 
Exactly. And the last step, which is step number four, is that the whole thing needs to be done in a pressured emotional environment. Like if you think about these Chinese thought reform camps, again, got no opinion on them whatsoever. I'm not going to say they were a cruisy holiday, right? Where you're just chilling under no stress. Like it's probably not going to be that. So what I would say is that the pressured emotional environment, we've spoken about this stress inhibits high cognitive reasoning. Like for anyone here, you just think about the last time you were stressed. You don't think. And so the, the thing that people always talk about is you need to take a pause so you breathe, so you start to think your prefrontal cortex starts to come in. But I think that whole notion of stress inhibiting that sort of, you know, cognitive reasoning, your brain just starts to shut down. Yeah, literally shuts off. Literally, um, which I know you looked into. Which I also looked, yeah. How about that segue, guys? <laughs> well, I did look into, right? And that kind of rounds out my last point uh, before we get to the brain tool section, really excited. And that's if you look at some of the more modern research, Tally Sharot and, and her colleagues um, at the University College of London reading, leading this in particular, it's it shows that head-on belief disagreement, when, when you disagree with someone head-on and you articulate this, shuts off the brain. I mean, that's a crazy statement. But what I mean by that is when our brain is confronted with this information, like I talked before in that psychological attack and how we defend ourselves. There's also a part of your brain called the posterior medial uh, frontal cortex, M- uh, PMFC. And it's responsible in the brain for assessing how confident you feel in information coming in, right? So when we feel really confident and a piece of information come in, this part of our brain lights up and goes, yep, great, let's accept that, that seems true. When we don't feel confident, this part of the brain is not as active and therefore we're less likely to take in this information and absorb it. And so in context of a belief disagreement, they actually run a study and they had a study with uh, uh, 40-something participants again. And in the study, they had both had different uh, financial views and values. And what they found is when people disagreed uh, on a point about their financial views and their values, this part of the brain, that um, posterior medial frontal cortex, deactivated. It shut off almost as if a light itself was going off. And that light was how confident they were in the other person's opinion during this conflict. So effectively, what this says is when you disagree with someone head on, if we were to disagree right now, Kieran, you and I, and I actively said, no, I don't agree with your beliefs. There's a part of your brain judging the confidence uh, in which you think what I'm saying is true that turns off. So anything I say after that, your brain just discredits entirely. It's gone. Oh, that is so. I'm just like, the reason I'm laughing at that is I'm just coming back to like arguments that you've had maybe with like family members, mum, dad, where they're trying to push right. something onto you. And like you literally shut off within the first two seconds. And then you like literally are sitting there one minute later, like, did you listen to me? Like, nah, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> exactly right. Right. This posterior medial prefrontal cortex is just is off. And you, it's almost as if you zone out. If anyone's had a really intense debate, or an argument, politically charged one, friends and family, thinking about a couple now. And (laughs) after about five minutes, they say, you're just not listening to me. What did I just say? And you can't remember a single thing because your brain has just shut off. Literally. It's it's so interesting because the more more I think about this as we talk about beliefs, it's like our brain has been designed, again, the evolution across millions of years, right, Um, to be really mindful of conflict because obviously we want to survive and so on. I'm I'm mindful of like the easy Darwinian argument here. But if that is the case, like if someone has an affront to you, right, our brain, everything about us is designed for, you know, readying for conflict. And so I think as as we move into the brain tools, it's more about reframing that, flipping it on its head and reminding ourselves that this is not a zero-sum game. It's not win-loss. It's about creating win-win and obviously seeking to understand. And so I think, uh, I think Sam, it's now time. 
to dive into the brain tools where we can go through how to go about better conflict resolution in reality, but how to actually look at multiple beliefs given a situation. I'm excited. I'm super excited. Let's get to this. Let's, uh, let's, let's break down some belief disagreements. Let's do it. All right, and now it's time for the brain tool section where you're going to get four practical brain tools for managing in, uh, those conversations around beliefs and conflict, uh, which are emotionally charged. And we, before we get into that, a quick intro, quick seg, uh, and it's really simply this. Facts are the enemy. Studies show studies don't change minds. This is a direct quote. Studies show studies don't change minds from Tali Shara, who's this cognitive neuroscientist who looks at beliefs and belief system. So as soon as you get into these arguments about beliefs, whether that be politically, whether that be about vaccines, whether that be about financial uh, situations, avoid facts, avoid logic, avoid data, because beliefs are all about emotion, values, identity, ego, and self-security. So it's really about making the other side feel heard, understood, and safe to believe. So to counteract that survival mechanism. And we're going to talk about how you do that right now with our brain tools. Uh, I totally agree with you. It's like, again, we talk about narrative bias, right? Which is like people, you know, make the decision emotionally and then they'll rationalize it afterwards. I'm not saying that's 100% true. It depends on the circumstance. But I think in any debate that we get to, there's always one mm. main thing that we need to do that we never end up doing. And that's how I'm going to introduce Agreed. my first brain tool, Samuel. And the way I'm going to do this is slightly different. I'm just going to turn this on his head a little bit. I want to ask you a question to set this bad boy up. Go on. Hit me up. All right. All right. So sports. Love sports. Sports, 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 right? My question to you is what do football, soccer, squash, or any sport for that matter have in common? Not a uh, question. I <laughs> Not a, I mean, there's always rules. Boom. There's always a way to play. Bang, 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 bang. 10 points for Gryffindor. Well done, Sam. They have rules. Not everyone would might agree with some of the rules. Not everyone might like the implementation or the officiating of the rules, but there are rules and there are umpires. And so in the same vein, when we have a, a, a charged conversation, people often begin talking about something that's quite emotional and quite tense. We don't actually set the ground rules or the definitions prior to do it right? They don't define what are we talking about. And that's where we go down a rabbit hole in the problem of just becoming a really circular with our arguments. So the solution, which is brain tool number one, is define the rules of the game. It's to define the rules of the game. Before you have a conversation that is going to be politically charged and you know it's going to be, define the rules of the game. What's the definition? Well, how long are we going to speak about it? Key topics, questions, and umpire. I'm not saying you sit there with a sheet. In the work setting, it's great to set an agenda, but I'm simply saying before we get dive into this, set some expectations because structure shapes behavior, not the other way around. Mm. Now, that's my first brain tool. Thoughts? I love it. I'm just thinking about the most successful uh, belief conflicts I've ever had. And that's where we've been really clear and articulate about what we're talking about, which is kind of this in a way, but less structured. Yeah, spot on. And I think when it comes to implementing this, I'm probably going to lean on it in a work setting first, because I think for like in a business meeting, and we have spoken about this ad nauseum, business meetings, business meetings can be the biggest waste of time. You can end up sitting in a room for two hours talking about the most minuscule topic as people go down a rabbit hole, they get tunnel vision and they're not able to zoom back out. And so I think, as I said, the first thing that I recommend is just clearly defining what are we speaking about today? This is what we're speaking about. Here are what the definitions are. The second thing that I recommend is assign an umpire. That is simply, you know, the arbiter or the speaker, as you would be in the House of Reps, as an example, right? Which is the person that's able to get people out of their um, funk or their circular line of logic. And 
the last thing that I'd say here is apply the two-minute rule, which is if someone is on topic and speaking about a topic, let them speak for at least two minutes before interrupting them. And that's where the umpire can come in and obviously help. In a business meeting perspective, and we've done this before, it can work incredibly well. And I think this is what we then end up avoiding is the topic slip. This is when you like move on from one topic to another without finishing a topic. And you end up like on 10 topics doing like 50% of them as opposed to five topics and completing all of them. And this decreases the emotionality of the argument, which is a surefire mm-hmm. way of reducing the, the friction between these conflicting beliefs and leading to a, what we speak about as a massive punch on. And that's brain tool number one. I like it. I like it. Establish some um, some boundaries, some rules, some regulations, so you don't go uh, bare knuckle boxing, so to speak. Yeah, I don't want to fight with you, bare knuckle boxing. I feel <laughs> like you'd absolutely roll me. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Sam's a Sam's a unit. Just want to put it out there. I uh, yeah. Look, I, I like the gym. Everyone likes the gym sometimes. Um, at least really. Not to uh, to get back on track too quickly, but it does. Really to, well I love how hey, this is the brain podcast. Stuff. Let's just talk about fighting and boxing for thirty minutes. Hey, hey, hey guys, the neuroscience of boxing. <laughs> hey, tangents. Have you heard of them? Yeah. What are they? Why are we here? Who's God? <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. I'll let you do there your brain. Sorry. There we go. That's all good. It actually does lead really well into my brain tool though, which is brain tool number two. Don't try to win, try to understand. Uh, I'm just going to pre-frame with a bit of a problem, right? Imagine you've got a heated debate with your sister or your brother or your mother and you just want to win. There's that innate drive and we all have it when you think, I just want them to see my way, to understand what I'm saying. And in this this state of conflict of your beliefs, you're really trying to uh, defend your identity. You know, you're trying to defend that psychological body from the attacks of the other person's beliefs. So you're going into fight, fight, or freeze response. You've got this hyperactive amygdala. You are stressed. You are probably yelling at this stage. Um, You're feeling tense. When this happens, what you want to think before this happens even, before you even get to that stage, is reframe from trying to win the belief conflict to trying to understand it. Because from a neuroscience perspective, when an argument starts, persuasion stops. When an argument starts, persuasion stops. As soon as you start debating and argue, arguing, you've got this uh, psychological body attack, you've got this fight response, you've got this survival mechanism kicking in. And just to give you a tiny bit of proof that this brain tool is actually based in some science, there was a group of researchers, including Drew Weston, they conducted an experiment, uh, which they wrote in their book, The Political Brain during the heated campaign of 2004. And in this experiment, they took uh, MRI, fMRI pictures of the brains as they watched footage of their favorite candidates, Mm. whoever that was, right? They're watching their favorite candidates, their preferred candidates. And what happens was when they saw uh, information that contradicted their worldview in this political environment, um, they recognized the, the clips as being in conflict and the parts of their brain that handle reason and logic went dormant and the parts of the brain that were responsible for hostile attacks. Wow. (laughs) And this is just watching someone speak on a screen. So you can imagine when you're in an argument or when you're in a really intense conflict, this is just amplified 10x. Absolutely. This is reminding me so much of like when Donald Trump got on like screens, right, and people Mm. would just say, I hate this guy. They wouldn't even justify it. It's like, I hate this guy. Yeah. And like the feeling of like Instinctive that, 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 response. that is, exactly that associative learning of seeing Donald Trump's tannish face <laughs> and just like oh, the, right? the emotional reaction is just a coupling, right? 
It totally is. And like Jonas Kaplan, the same researcher who worked with Sam Harris on the other paper, mentions this, and I'll just give you this quick quote. It's the brain's primary responsibility is to take care of the body and to protect the body. And the psychological self is the brain's extension of that. So when our self feels attacked, when our beliefs feel attacked, when you're trying to win, the other person's brain is going to bring to bear the same defenses it has for protecting the body. So how do you implement this brain tool? This is a really easy one to, to use in theory, but hard in practice because you've got to remind yourself. But when you're in those situations of conflict, think, All right, I'm not trying to win this argument. I'm not trying to win this debate. I'm trying to understand the other person's perspective. And that's all you should focus on, understanding what they believe. And there's a really great Brené Brown quote to round it out, which is, I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. I love that. That is, that That's deep, by the way. It's all about understanding what is true as opposed to what is right. Exactly right. And preventing that fight mechanism being triggered during those what can be quite intense belief conflicts. So that's brain tool number two. Don't try to win an argument. Try to understand. Oh, this is beautifully set up for brain tool number three, okay? Now, I think, as you said, it's about, well, first, we have to define the rules for the game. We need to understand, like, take the position I'm seeking to understand first, not just trying to win. And then what I want to go through here is how do you actually show that? How do you, like, practically go about understanding something in the moment? And I think, as I set this up, I don't know how you feel about this, but generally in an argument, especially if I'm in an argument with my family where I get quite emotional sometimes, sometimes, all the time, mm. I'm kidding. Love you, mum, dad, Ali, all good. Um, <laughs> mom, dad. What I'd say in an argument is we generally take the worst part of a person's argument and we absolutely kill it. We dismantle it. We never actually mm. take, and that's what we call straw manning or straw personing as an example, yeah. which is taking the worst part, going hard for it. We never take the best part of a person's argument and try and make it so it's very, very clear. And I think this, if we, when we take a person's argument and we take the bad parts, quote unquote, that we view, people automatically become defensive. Like you are having a personal attack because remember, this is a person's belief. This is tied to a lot of emotion that they have. So therefore you end up in parallel monologues, not a meaningful dialogue. And so the solution that I want to actually bring to this is something that I picked up when I saw uh, a great debate between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris in yes. Canada. That was a brilliant debate. <laughs> it was a very, very good one for, for, for context of people. These are two people that really are opposite of the spectrum when it comes to religion and they're having a conversation about it. But the solution is to steal man or steal person. The mm-hmm. idea here, and that's brain tool number three, your job here in this is to summarize your counterpart's argument and generally the strongest part of it. Okay, you assume the person's viewpoint and you ask yourself, hey, why might this person be right? You try and prove their argument correct. Okay, and this is a completely different frame. Think about all the conversations right now that you've ever had that has been, a, mm-hmm. a, 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 I suppose, quote unquote, quite charged. When have we ever done this? I put my hand up and say, I don't think I've ever done this in a live conversation outside of like trying to understand what they're saying. I've never tried to prove them right. And so True. I think it's an interesting one, Sam. It's a really interesting one because it's a t- it's a great reframe. It puts you in that mindset of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And so implementing this, I want to give a, almost like a bit of a formula to it, which is a, which is you know two parts. Okay, the way to do this is as follows: you want to start by saying with this question stem before you try and summarize what a person's saying. You say, "I'm sorry if I'm wrong," and the real key thing here is when you say sorry, you automatically bring the defenses down. Right? People are not going to sit there and be like, oh, what are you sorry for? I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but, and I know people always say but, but just so we're on the same page or if I've understood you correctly, this is what you're trying to come forward with. And then what you do is you summarize the argument. The building blocks of any good summary are a label. So I've labeled it. 
with paraphrasing and identifying and rearticulating. So you actually emotionally affirm to the other person, this is what your world looks like. And you need to answer that particular question. So as I say in a summary, I'll say, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but just so we're on the same page, just so I understand this is what you're trying to say. Am I correct? And this will happen as a decision tree, Sam, is they'll either say, no, Mm -hmm. you've got it wrong. And they'll explain their argument or the magic words. That's right. That's right is better than yes. You're not trying to get people to say yes. You're saying that's right. You actually understand me. And I think that's the key thing here is we want to strive for that. Reaching that's right in a negotiation creates a breakthrough. And that's from Never Split the Difference by Chris Chris Voss. And he basically says here in his book, uh, just to give you an idea, is thoughtful disagreement. But by listening intensely, you demonstrate empathy and you show a sincere desire to better understand what the other side is experiencing. As we spoke again, which is brain tool number three, steel manning slash steel person. I absolutely love that you just referenced Chris Vosch's book. book <laughs> the Might be one of the best books I've ever read. It does. Smooth um, FM, smooth EJ voice. Smooth FM. A tactical <laughs> empathy. And it links so, so nicely because you think of all the times when someone has taken that time, you're in an argument and they say, hey, Kieran, I, 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 it sounds like you're saying you believe this because of these reasons and this is your argument and I can see how that would apply here. And you just sit, you instantly feel better. You instantly feel less tense. Your blood pressure just drops about a million points for no reason. You can't even tell why. And you you just feel understood, Mm -hmm. which really links into my my last brain tool, um, number four. And almost it's almost, you know, totally synonymous with this. But as a general rule, it's show before sharing. So we talked about before when you have a conflict in beliefs, they arrive because both sides think. The other side doesn't understand their viewpoint. You know, when you're arguing with friends about who's the goat in the NBA, you start spouting out the facts that agree with you because you think they don't understand why you think Jordan is the goat, not LeBron, or vice versa, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Or when you meet an anti-vaxxer, you think, how can they be so stupid not to understand why people should get vaccinations? And that's what you you immediately latch onto. So you spend the next time, the next 10 minutes trying to tell them why they're wrong. But you don't actually take the first step, which is according to a book called How to Have Impossible Conversations, where they looked at research Mm. um, across the whole spectrum on disagreement and uh, specifically emotionally charged conversation. You don't take the time to relate back to them and restate their beliefs, their reasonings and thinking more clearly than, than they ever did. And when you do this, it triggers something in the brain. I love that. That's so because it links so nicely to the idea of the, the steel man when you're talking about yes. it, which is like you're showing, right? I, I've never really thought about it in mm-hmm. that vantage point, which is like actively showing here is the quote unquote evidence of what I'm trying to do. It resonates with people a lot more strongly than anything. Absolutely. You're showing you understand them. And just as a bit of proof on why that is so damn powerful, looking at a study from uh, S. Morelli in 2014 uh, and her colleagues where they found, looked at the neural basis of feeling understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not understood. And the results in their study and the participants when they did some fMRI showed that when we feel understood, the areas of our brain uh, associated with reward and social connection light up, the ventral striatum, the middle insula. But when we feel misunderstood, the areas associated with negative effect, the anterior insula, the areas associated with self-identity of negative emotions light up. So as soon as people feel you don't understand them, they're parts of their brain that are processing negative emotion that are processing threat detection are active. But as soon as you show you do understand, they connect with you. Really simple. 
So simple. So effective. This is like Pokemon. It's super effective. Hey, it's a critical super hit. Yeah. <laughs> get the Pokeballs out that Master Pokeballs. Got to get some of those rare legendary Pokemon. Um, <laughs> so good. So to make it really practical, right? Next time you're in a belief conflict or an argument, um, re- remember that first rule of trying not to win, trying to understand. And the way you do that is before you say anything back, before you have any retort, before you state your opinion or your belief, just spend a couple minutes showing you understand the other person fully and where they're coming from. So restate their their beliefs and their opinion. Restate their reasoning. Like exactly like you did with the Stillman, totally articulate everything they just said back to you so you show you've understood them and listened because then it's going to trigger the, these are parts of their brain associated with reward and connection. It's going to drop their psychological barriers and it counteracts that natural defense me- mechanism, which psychology re- researchers call reactance or the backfire effect. So it blows their guard. That's brain tool number four, which is show before sharing. I love it. And it's coming back to, you know, every everything that we go. It's like, sh- like the whole idea of show and tell, right? But it's show first, tell second. It's like it's a very yeah. interesting interesting thing that we've gone through. But I love those brain tools, Sam. I think uh, let's uh, let's go back to the top, shall we? Just to give a let's bit of a summary, it. hey? Wrap so uh, brain tool number one, define the rules of the game. In any other game that we end up playing, there's clearly, clearly rules. There's normally an umpire officiator. Make sure you do the same, whether it's a business or a personal conversation you've got to have. What is the definition of this argument? How long are you going to speak about it? What are the key topics? Doing this means that you avoid completing zero topics, um, but, and, but and actually actually get through a lot of the arguments you're trying to do, and it means you're less likely to go off track and go into circular arguments. That's the first one, which is define the rules of the game. Strong. And that leads into when you're playing the game, brain tool number two, the aim is not to win. The aim is to understand. Focus when you're in an argument, not on trying to win your argument, but trying to understand the other person. And you will instantly reframe the way you're having that conversation in your mind. You will reduce the need to attack their beliefs, which is attacking their psychological body uh, and then triggering that defense mechanism. And you're much more likely to be able to apply the following two brain tools and, and reach some form of consensus in, in a really healthy way. So brain tool number two, you're not trying to win, you're trying to understand. I love it. And that leads nicely into branch number three because we're trying to create a win-win situation, not a win-loss situation. Become a still man or a still person. The idea here is simple. Restate your person, your counterpart's argument in the best way possible. Not a neutral way, not the worst way, the best way possible. And in doing so, you then either lead to them re-explaining their point so you understand or alternatively, they mutter those two phenomenal words, that's right and the moment they get there is the moment you've opened a conversation where you're going to create a win-win situation not a win-loss situation that is brain tool number three become a steel man steel person become a steel man steel person that's right and brain tool number four is putting that into practice show before sharing use the steel man before you retort at all before you come back with your counter arguments before you articulate your belief show you understood them so well that they have nothing else to say that they feel they don't need to say anymore before you say anything back because this is going to trigger their rewards circuitry, their connection circuitry. They're going to lower their defenses and their guard, and they're going to be much more receptive to what you have to say. So brain tool number four, show before sharing. Oh, I love cool. that. that whew, I tell you what, very decent, Samuel. Uh, like I, Good I, we, we always give give a pat on the back, but like, hey, solid. <laughs> solid. You know, and I, look, I want to finish with a bit of a caveat in that these brain tools are compared to last episodes, much harder to do in practice because when you're in a conflict and argument, you're emotionally aroused, um, which means parts of your brain responsible for executive function, for thinking clearly, for logical processing, reduced 
you're really in that fight or flight. But if you do manage to use some of these, you'll find that there's less tension in your arguments, that you're able to have much more healthy uh, belief disagreements and both people feel better. And that's what it is about or at the end of that, how we feel after an argument. Totally, totally agree with you. And this is the whole idea, right? It's practice. We talked about, you know, self-directed mm-hmm. neuroplasticity. Doing these things are going to feel really foreign initially, but taking the first step, actually practicing it is going to work really well, which does lead into our 80-20 for the day. Sam, what's your 80-20? 80-20. My 80-20 is beliefs are about identity and self-protection. Don't attack them. It's like throwing a haymaker to someone's psychological body. Start with safety. Start with understanding. I really like this hammer. I feel like you just want to punch me, mate. Like the, the amount, yeah. the amount of, I'm just kidding. Punch you in your brain with my Love words. Hugs, hugs. Verbal missiles, <laughs> verbal missiles, baby. Uh, my 80-20 for the day, and I know I'm biggest fanboy, but I'm thinking Ray Dalio here. His quote, thoughtful disagreement is not a battle. Its goal is not to convince the other party that he or she is wrong and you are right, but to find out what is true and what to actually do about it. The practical outcome of the conversation, it's better to have do something after it than to just talk about something and do nothing. And that's my 80-20. Well, that is super strong. And with that, we're going to wrap up the episode for this week uh, and the mini series on beliefs. So if you haven't checked out episode one, go check out that one on self-beliefs, how to form them, how to change them. If you are liking our content, but you want to get a bit more practical, a bit deeper, uh, and you, you want to see how some of these brain tools from today apply in your life or in certain situations, go to braintools.substack.com, chuck your email in, um, or just wait until we release the guide later, two weeks' time from now, just after this episode, where we're going to give some practical episode, uh, practical examples of how to use all these brain tools and, and how they actually apply in real life. Otherwise, that's that's all I've got for today. Anything else, Dad? Nah, we'll, we'll be back next week. But yeah, thanks for your time, Sam. Thanks for everyone for listening in, and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.